From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Sunday, July 7th, 2019. Um, on a day when Matthew Wolf takes the PGA Tour by storm uh, in a thrilling and scintillating final round against Colin Morikawa. That is not why Jordan Brickman is on this telecast. Jordan Brickman is on this telecast talk about the craziness that was NBA and still is NBA free agency. Welcome back to the show, Jordan. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me. Uh, it is my pleasure. All right, we're Nick fans. Your job on here is obviously as a Nick fan. Um, we've talked about it before. Nick fans at this point have come to um, not be surprised when things uh, don't go well. So. When free agency opened last Sunday, a week ago today, at 6 p.m. Eastern time, what did you expect? Before you heard anything else, what what, what did you hope and expect the Knicks to do? I, I mean, I think that along this whole process, and not even just free agency, but looking back towards the NBA season, there's all these reports, the Knicks going to get Kevin Durant, done deal, done deal. And I think, you know, at first I was like, I won't believe it until I see it, I won't believe it until I see it. And then it's almost impossible not to eventually put some credibility behind these reports. But I think deep down, Knicks fans knew that it probably was not going to happen. Um, so I, I still felt like, it was, I thought it was 50-50 when free agency opened. I mean, it was announced before free agency technically opened, but uh, before it was technically announced, I, I felt like we had a 50-50 shot. And I still felt like the Nets just didn't make sense. Um, so I thought it was us or the Warriors. Uh, and then obviously this, neither happened, but I still feel like we had an outside shot just from the New York alert, kind of the fact that um, his agent is, and slash best friend is a huge Knicks fan and all these things. It was just kind of the media kind of allowed us to think that it was actually possible. When in reality, and in, in the hindsight, it really seems like it wasn't that possible, that likelihood, likely really at any point uh, over the last few months. Um, did you expect any other name brand free agent besides KD? No, I mean, if you're not getting KD, I mean, Ky Kyrie seemed like he was going to the Nets. Like, for, it sounds like that was that was decided months ago. Um, and I, I thought we had no shot at Kawhi. So I, if you're not getting KD, I, I assumed, all right, let's just kind of do things the quote-unquote right way um, and move on. So I, if you're not getting KD, I felt like it was going to be a whole different type of offseason, which it was. Um, as you looked at the picture, at the overall picture, were you at all ever interested in an Anthony Davis trade? Uh, when it came, like, could you have envisioned the ADKD situation working out, or was that a case where, in in hindsight, those two were always going to be two separate deals? Uh, I definitely, at the end of the day, if you can get Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, and and probably Kyrie Irving with that as well, you have to do it, um, even after the Achilles tear. So I would understand that they would have had to basically gut the whole team, kind of like how they did for Melo. I, I would have been okay with it, because if you can get Anthony Davis, if you can get a Kevin Durant, and, and let's say Kyrie Irving was, was, would have changed his opinion at that point, um, you have to go for it. I'm actually happy that that's not the way that it went down, just because there's a lot of players on this team that I really like, and I want to see them develop and, and you know not rush things. So um, I, I would have been okay with it. I would have felt like it was probably the right thing to do at the time, you know, even if they traded all the prospects and all the first-round picks for them. Um, but uh, I, I think that 
that ultimately had a, had a okay, I'll come on the Anthony Davis side of things. Yeah, all right. We're talking to Jordan Brickman here about the Knicks and free agency. What did you think? So, so when you hear Kyrie and KD go to the Nets, it's Brooklyn. It's the team next door. It's the borough you live in. Um, what was your emotionally? What was your reaction? I mean, because if it was the Warriors, I, I let let me reword my question. Did the fact that it was Brooklyn make any difference that KD rejected the Knicks? Yeah, uh, it does. It does. It does for sure because it shows that he wanted to come to New York, right? There's, there's clear, he clearly wants to play in New York City, and the Knicks have just not been good enough or proven enough over the last several almost decades at this point to, that, they, that they deserve a player like him. Um, I think it really goes back to the Porzingis situation and the fact that they couldn't keep him happy and keep him satisfied. And you know, that's a whole other conversation as to why that might have happened. But I think if if Porzingis was still here. Um, and wasn't kind of this disgruntled employee. I think that the whole conversation is different. Um, but I, I think that um, the fact that he wanted to play in New York, I think Kyrie, from the reports, it sounds like Kyrie was thinking Knicks or Nets and just looking at the teams and their foundation and the coaching staff and management. He just felt like the Nets were a better fit for him. So clearly they're in the running just from being in the big market of New York and playing you know, in the quote-unquote mecca. But the fact that they've kind of, just had a comedy of errors for basically two decades now um, was the reason why they weren't able to get these guys. So it's, it's extra frustrating to the point I think you were, you were about to make. You know, if it was Golden State or even if it was the Clippers, you say, okay, it makes sense. You know, you know those are good teams. They're just resigning, you know, run it back type of thing. But he wanted to come to New York, and he went to a uh, a team with not much of a culture or history and one of the honestly one of the, the, the worst fan bases in the NBA uh, from a from a you know, buying tickets, showing up to the game standpoint. So uh, it definitely hurts that that happened, and, and he's going to be public enemy number one when he shows up at the Garden, you know, in, in, in two years. Um, all right, so this is where I think this gets interesting. You're a, a prospective season ticket holder. I don't know if you guys are going to follow through on that after all this. Um, Too late. <laughs> what? Too late. Yeah, all right, so, so there you go. You are a season ticket holder. And I think there's an interesting question to be made and, and topic to be raised about you've got all this um, teams with cap space and there's only so many players to go to so many places, musical chairs, we're playing with these super teams, guys want to play with their friends and be happy. What, 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 what realistically should a team, uh, sorry, fans and especially season ticket holders who are paying their hard-earned money to get in the building, what should they realistically expect out of the team that they're you know, paying for tickets for when they have cap space? Are you saying now that they've made these moves or going into the offseason? I'm just saying in general. I, 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 I guess I'm saying is this. As a season ticket holder, are you a bigger... Are you somebody who, who wants to do it right and do what they did, which we'll get to in a second? Or, or are you somebody that wants a name that'll bring you in the building or will help your resale or will help bring clients in the building if, if you're a business guy trying to get clients to come with you? Like, what, as a season ticket holder with a team with a massive amount of cap space, what do you think the realistic expectations should be? Because now I think we're entering a, a era of the NBA where it's playing with your friends and cap space isn't everything because teams will frantically dump salary to make room for people. Look at the Miami Heat. 
Yeah, I, I think if, if, you, if your opinion is not that we need to do this the right way, then you're wrong. Um, you, you, we, we, ha- we have to... It, the Knicks, Knicks have always have stars. They've had Stephon Marbury, they traded for Steve Francis, they even had T-Mac when he was a shell of himself. Obviously, they had Carmelo Anthony and Maury Stoudemire. Time after time, these guys have not worked out. Melo had the one season pretty much, and they had a couple eight seed runs. And I still, you know, I'm a Carmelo Anthony um, defender. But um, you know, go, going after these stars and and either a giving them nothing around them, or going after these stars that have injury issues or huge question marks and have terrible contracts is just not the way to build the team. You have to do it the right way, and and the right way is to develop the players that you have accumulate assets and then build on those assets so in order for the Knicks to be good it's going to be about the, the first round picks that they've had and, and the second round picks and the un, unsigned guys and, and developing them to be strong good players in the NBA hopefully all-stars some of them and then giving them good pieces around them to to have a foundation that's what the Nets did that's what Kyrie was interested in is the fact that the Nets have found players developed players and then established veterans and, and good leadership around them with strong coaching and strong management. That's what the Nets have done and that's what the Knicks have not done and that's what's going to be appealing to players. If you fast forward two years from now and let's say best case scenario, R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson have developed into all-stars, defensive player of the year, capable type players, that's going to be interesting to other players and on top of that it, allow, it gives you flexibility because they're still on their rookie contracts. So that, that, that the value that you're getting from that is huge, and you can use that extra money to pay, um, you know, a, JJ, a, a guy that's, a, you know, a great role player, like a J.J. Redick or someone like that, that you can kind of overpay for to bring them in to kind of finalize, fix the gaps of, of your team. So uh, those guys are going to come to a team that has a good foundation, with good coaching, with an exciting future um, that you're going to need to develop. And that's, the, that's what the Knicks have to do now, and that's a, a sustainable path. You know, right now, Russell Westbrook, who I'm sure we'll talk about more in, in later in the podcast, uh, is on the block, right? Everyone's saying the Knicks should look into acquiring him. It's just meaningless. There's no point in doing it. You're going to pay him $40 million for uh, a couple years to do nothing with the team. They'll maybe make the playoffs. They're not going to any championships with him. Just to sell a couple more tickets and win a couple more games is not worth it. It's championship robust, so you have to develop the team from the ground up to get to that championship level. And that's what they did by drafting RJ, drafting the guy out of Michigan, Signing Julius Randle to a three-year deal. Uh, was that ever confirmed to be two and one, or is that a hard three? I I saw conflicting things on that. Was that ever confirmed? I don't know if it's officially confirmed. Confirmed. I saw two. I saw two and one with the one being a partial guarantee. I don't think the official terms have come out. I imagine they will start to in the next day or so because the contracts were officially signed. Uh, as of yesterday, so I imagine the, the final terms will come out in a moment. Yeah, and then they get Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock, all on one-on-one deals. I love those moves. A, Julius Randle is a nice acquisition. Um, and by the way, just to finish up on J.J. Redick, I, I, I meant to say this a moment ago, two years, $26.5 million, that's the kind of guy and that's the kind of money you can pay a J.J. Redick who, who, who goes to the Pelicans if you, if, you, if you develop the right way. Okay. So under the right way, Portis, Payton, Ellington, Tosh Gibson, Reggie Bullock, they sign all these guys to one-on-one deals. They're veterans. And to me, this is the right way to do it. You let the Knoxes and the Robinsons and the Triers shine while also adding in all these pieces plus RJ and, and, and basically seeing what you got. This team is going to be more competitive this year. They should win more than 17 games. Definitely, definitely. You know, that's, 
you know, that more games might be 30 games, you know, which is still not an amazing team or anything like that, but it, it's progress, and you hope that... I, I think what I really like about these signings is that last year it was just a bunch of kids with a couple of vets, um, but like mostly guys that were still developing their game. Like, you look at Tim Hardaway still trying to kind of find his way in this league. Yeah, had Porzingis, who didn't basically didn't play all season. And they got Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee, who kind of didn't really get any minutes. So... Um, now you actually put a lot of adults in the room, and for the most part, these guys are overachieving, hardworking veterans in the league who have established places and have worked their way up to get these contracts. And when you surround the kids with that type of environment, it usually works out. I kind of think back to the, I kind of alluded to it earlier, the, the one good Melo team that the Knicks had uh, in, in 2012, 2013. That team was good because they surrounded their core with vets with the Jason Kidd, Marcus Canby, Rasheed Wallace, those guys who didn't really have a huge impact on the floor, but they just made the clubhouse, the locker room, um, that much more elevated from a maturity standpoint. When you put those kind of guys in that type of um, system and environment, it will help them raise their game. And I think I'm interested to see what Fisdale and Scott Perry and Steve Mills have to say when they do their press conference and announce all these signings. Um, But what I imagine is the point is, you know, last year these kids were just given minutes. Here you go, we have no one else to play, you're just going to play. This year they're going to have to earn it. They're going to have to beat out veterans. And in theory they should. You know, Kevin Knox is more talented than Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock. But he's got to play better than them to get those minutes. So I imagine this is the idea here is to create a culture of, of, of competition and also a, a culture of uh, building intangibles, hard work, and, you know, kind of dedicated to your craft of these guys that they've brought in have all proven that they are. Uh, and then Julius Randle's an exciting fit, right? He, he's you know, on this team, you, you look at Knox, you look at what you would project R.J. Barrett to be, Dennis Smith. Um, you look at these guys, they're not very efficient. You bring in Julius Randle, he's a guy that'll put 20 points a game at a 50% clip. Someone's going to have to score the ball, and someone's going to need to do it efficiently, and Randle's a nice fit for, for, for that spot. If he can continue to hit that three-point shot, he's a really nice fit for this team. So um, I like what they did. You know, people can criticize they didn't do a lot of the, the trades to accumulate draft picks and, and prospects and things like that that some other teams did, and that's kind of what the Nets did for the last few years. Uh, you can criticize that, but at the end of the day, they had their vision of creating this roster, and, and they went about and did that, and, and hopefully they'll start paying dividends as the season. And from my end, and why I'm curious to see this this team in person using your front row uh, season tickets next year, um, <laughs> Uh, but one reason why I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this team is I think that there is a misnomer out there that Dolan was the reason why nobody wanted to come here. I think it was that they just didn't develop players right. Now, whether that's Dolan's fault or not, I don't think an owner, or as the NBA now might say, governor, uh, is the reason why teams, uh, why free agents didn't want to come to the Knicks. That, that never... I feel like you can overcome a bad owner if if the culture is right, and the culture has just not been right about around the Knicks. And maybe this is a move towards actually trying to build from within, looking one borough over, and and trying to build right. I don't think this was a Dolan thing. Do you think this was a Dolan thing? Yeah, I think the owner is. is I think it's really it's really hard for us to say from afar how much the owner actually has an impact. <clears throat> but I, I think. Dolan is kind of unique in his negative impact on the team. I, I think that he, he, he meddles more than uh, he says he does. I mean, there was that report that the Knicks didn't want to offer KD the max, which didn't matter anyway, but the fact that he was th- thinking about, you know, the contract and, and that type of thing is not something he should be thinking about. He should tell his, 
he should trust his management. If this is what you want to do, then go do it. Um, so clearly he's involved in some sense. So it's hard to say if it was an impact or not. Um, I, do, I do think at the end of the day, it was a, it's a basketball decision these guys are making, and the Knicks just have not been a good team, have not proven to be a good team, have not proven to develop, develop the right talent for a while now that these superstar players are not going to put their careers in the Knicks' hands. So I, I think that's what it comes down to. And now, to the point you just made earlier, the Knicks might have been bad at that because of Dolan, um, but uh, I don't think it's necessarily they're not saying, hey, this is the right basketball place for me, but I don't want to play for James Dolan. So I don't think it comes down to that. But I think it's a little bit of a conjecture from people that are as far far from the game as we are. Talking to Jordan Brickman about the Knicks and, and free agency. Let's go back to that emergency podcast we did uh, after KP got traded. And folks, I, I recommend listening to it. It's a side of Jordan I've never seen before. Um, you were not a happy camper. Um, and one of the things that we sat there and did not understand at the time, both of us, is why then, why now, why whatever, whatever, whatever. And you doubted Scott Perry and Steve Mills. And, and you doubted the rationale for the deal, the timing of the deal, etc. Sitting here today at 7.19 p.m. Eastern Time on July 7th, do you have more confidence than you did then in Scott Perry and Steve Mills? I, I do, and, you know, I think a lot of the details that came out after uh, the trade uh, about Christoph Porzingis and, and the circumstances around why they traded him really added a lot of color into the reason that they traded him. You know, he, he demanded the trade, did not want to be in New York, he didn't want to play for the Knicks anymore. He threatened to leave the country, uh, which I think is crazy. He said, I'm going to go back to, if you don't trade me, I'm going back to Spain. I'm going to rehab my knee in Spain. And once that happens, once that becomes public information, they lose all leverage. So the fact that they moved pretty quickly um, and got a decent amount of assets, and, and in the NBA, cap space is an asset that they acquired. Um, yeah. so the fact that they were able to do that um, without the word getting out and kind of acting quickly and able to, to move as fast as they did, my hat's off to them. I think that they did the best job that they could. You know, Some people said that they should have gotten another all-star back. I don't know if that would have happened if they you know, would have waited a little bit longer. Sounds like they did kind of market him for a couple of days out there and got a sense of what the market was. But um, I have faith. That I, I, I believe that that was a good trade, and I believe that they are committed to doing things the right way. I think the fact that they have not been connected to Russell Westbrook this week, last few days, is a testament to that. Uh, I think in the past, the Knicks would have said, cool, we want, we want Russ. We still have a chance to back out of our contracts because the deals aren't signed until yesterday. Um, they could have, in theory, gotten got involved there, and they probably would easily have the best package to get Russ because they wouldn't have had to give up salary, but now it's too late because they signed some deals. But I think that, that shows that uh, they're not trying to skip steps. You know, if you get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you skip the steps because it makes sense, but you don't skip steps for one guy. Um, and I, I, think, I think that they are, they're smart. They, they've realized that. I think they're building it the right way. And Scott Barry has built, he built a pretty darn good Kings team um, in Sacramento, or at least the start of a, a good Kings team over there. So he's proven that he can get the right guys in there. Now it's just about Ken Fisdale and his system um, that he's that he's working on. Can, can they develop the players? It showed last year with Noah Vonleh, Emmanuel Moutier, Mitchell Robinson's growth over the year. A couple guys that, that had career seasons. Uh, so you got to hope that that continues this year with with Knox and Barrett and Mitch, and hopefully more Mitch and maybe Frank and show some flashes and continue to grow these guys um, and 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 really build a strong team, strong foundation. Um. All right. So. 
This Kawhi thing, he goes to the Clippers, he orchestrates a Paul George trade in the dead of night. We all wake up to it. Um, I, it still has me just speechless. Uh, your thoughts on that signing, Kawhi choosing to go there, the Paul George trade, and what this means for Russell Westbrook, who is so talented... And yet, you told me right after it. I don't think anybody's going to want, want, going to want him. Why do you feel so strongly that way for somebody so talented? Yeah. Um, well, so first on the Kawhi, Kawhi side. I mean, <laughs> the NBA is so fun. How fun is the NBA? I mean, it's the off season, and it's just, it's just insane what's happening um, this year. It totally shifted the entire landscape of the NBA for the first time in who knows how long. There seems to be legitimate parity. There's eight to nine to ten teams that you can maybe argue are, are championship contenders or at least can come out of their conference, um, which is awesome. So I'm so happy that he did not go to the Lakers and he went to the Clippers. Um, and it's pretty darn cool they got Paul George, too, to, to join him there. Um, it was shock, shocking, obviously. I woke up to it as well as everyone else did. I remember seeing Kawhi and PG, and I was like, what? Um, and, I, and I get push notifications from Woj. So I was able to pick it up pretty quickly. Um, but it was just amazing. The package that the Thunder gave up is... Uh, <laughs> Or the Thunder acquired, excuse me, is insane. Um, they're they got a hell of a package, and the Clippers better hope they win the championship because they're still giving up draft picks in twenty twenty six. Yeah, better hope they get a ring from that. Um, five first so, round picks, five. Say again. Five first round picks. That's insane. Five and and SGA, who's a gr- like a very good player, like a good young player, really really strong young player, one of the better ones in the NBA. I'm excited to see, especially if they trade Westbrook. I'm excited to see. Um, what he does on that team with with a, a expanded role, um, so just it's just an incredible incredible haul. The Clippers are are definitely one of the championship um, leaders in the championship contender race this year. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see them defensively. Um, but yes, yeah, so that, that was amazing. You know, kind of a speechless moment I think around the NBA, which was which was awesome. Pretty cool to see some of the the Clippers players reacting because they were together at the summer league in Vegas, posting videos, saying you know talking about how they got. They got Kawhi. I think that, that was pretty cool to see. Uh, NBA just just so fun. Um, and on the Westbrook side of things, you know, I it, it's I have a lot of respect for Westbrook. He may be the, might be the hardest playing player in the NBA. Probably the hardest playing superstar in the NBA. Um, does so much on the court. His shot completely abandoned him this year. He shot 29 percent from three, um, and he and he just seems to make the wrong decisions at the worst times. You know, call it unlucky or, or maybe it's just in his nature, but um, seems like now Paul George, Kevin Durant, these guys have have, neglect, have decided not to play with him. Um, and that's always concerning. You know, Paul George tweeted out some respect for him after the trade, but there was a report that came out that there was a rift there. Um, you know, teams that are superstar hungry, but that were mentioned that are connected to him, the, the Timberwolves, the Pistons, the Heat, um, it makes sense for those teams to go for him. I think the Heat makes the most sense, pairing with Jimmy Butler, and you know, hope for the best. Um, but I just don't. It just—he's it, 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 a hard guy to trade for. He relies on his on his athleticism. He's such a dominating, domineering personality that once you bring him to the team, the entire team landscape changes. You kind of hand him the keys and hope for the best. And you're paying the man forty million dollars until he's thirty-four years old. Um, that's not that for, for someone that relies almost solely on his athleticism. That's not an ideal standpoint for, for teams to do. 
So those, those mid-market teams that I just mentioned, it makes sense for them to take a shot on him and, and, and hope for the best and sell some tickets and maybe they'll make the playoffs, win a couple of games, you know, set some records of triple doubles. But um, he's kind of a polarizing figure. Again, I have a ton of respect for him as a player, as an athlete. Um, he's, he's, he's incredible. But he, he's, it seems like he, teams don't think they can win with him with his style of play. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he gets traded and, and it'll be interesting to see what the Thunder look like next year if they, if they do get rid of him. Yeah, it would be absolutely fascinating. Um, just, it just it just amazes me that nobody wants to play with one of if you know one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. It just it, it just absolutely amazes me. But the point you made is valid. He's a polarizing guy. All right, the free agency move that that made you go that makes a lot of sense, and the free agency move that had you wondering what were they thinking. Um, I love the uh, Bojan Bogdanovic move to the Jazz. Um, I, I just am a huge Jazz fan. I really like that roster and what they've done there with Conley and Bogdanovic. Um, they've surrounded Favors. With, uh, not Favors. They've surrounded uh, Mitchell with shooting. Um, he's probably the worst shooter on the floor other than Gobert now. I just love kind of that team, and I think they are a dark horse this year. Um, they, should be, they should be really fun. And then the move that I think uh, – well. So I was surprised the Bucks let Brogdon go. Same. Um, but he got a lot of money, so you know, Nick, I can I can see that. Uh, but staying staying with the faces, the Jeremy Lamb signing, the fact that they're just they're putting so much money in uh, on Jeremy Lamb and Brogdon's shoulders, I think that's a mistake. Brogdon's a hell of a player, very good on a team like the Bucks, but he's not going to go out there and and live up to the contract that he was given on, I don't think, um, because he's gonna, that's the contract you give a guy that's going to be putting up high teens, low 20s every night, and I don't think he's that guy. I think he's a very valuable player on a very good team. I don't, I don't know if that's the right fit for him in the Patriots, but Jeremy Lamb, I think, was kind of a... a, a it is not as much of the Brogdon contract, it's more with the Jeremy Lamb. Um, he's a fine player, a good scorer, but um, I feel like they, I think they're giving... Six, six. Um, they're sorry, nine figures to, to those two guys. It's, it's too much money to to, to give them. But uh, that, that's one of the ones that came to mind for me. Thirty-one and a half million over three years for Lamb. That is a lot of money. The thing about the Brogdon uh, uh, letting Brogdon walk that I didn't get from a Bucks perspective is: Aren't you trying to impress Giannis and make Giannis stay? And what did they do besides keeping Chris Middleton and, and signing Wesley Matthews that'll convince Giannis? to stay you've got to win and you've got to win now and yes the east is open but it's i i don't i i don't know if they did enough to surround Giannis. they haven't improved the team at all i mean wesley matthew sure they added robin lopez too sure um but they haven't improved they, they lost miritich yeah um they lost brogdon they, they haven't improved the team in any way really um they're going to go into the in the season this year worse i mean the middleton contract you have to kind of give him that money uh, but that's an overpay to, to give him almost $200 million. He's, he's, he scored 18 points a game this year. He's not, he's not that player worth that, but you have to do it, to your point, to impress Giannis. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, he's obviously the next one the Knicks have their eyes on. Um, so we'll see We'll see how that, that continues to develop. You know, they have issues at point guard with Bledsoe, he, who totally disappeared in the playoffs. Uh, but to your point, the East is wide open. You know, the team that beat them is, is not going to be in the same running this year, but the Sixers got stronger. Um, uh, or in theory, they got stronger at least. So, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, they didn't really improve. So, so it'll be interesting. But Giannis, Giannis said he's gonna 
I thought his quote was interesting after they got eliminated that he normally goes into his offseason working as a big man. This time he's going to go into the offseason working as a guard. So it'll be interesting to see how his how his skills develop in there. Obviously, he's got to get a more consistent jump shot. But, um, yeah, it'll be, inter- and it'll be interesting to see how that team meshes. And if there is any moves they can make, maybe the deadline this year to, to improve the team. Excuse me, improve the team. But they've lost, they've lost two key contributors for them and didn't really replace them with high-level contributors. Yeah, we're talking to uh, Jordan Brickman here about uh, – the Knicks, the NBA, and, and everything else. Um, two more NBA things and then in a UFC thing. Um, I thought D'Angelo Russell was going to stay with the Nets. Well, obviously, he's not going to stay with the Nets after they get KD and Kyrie. It's interesting that he went to the Warriors, uh, A, because from everything I've read, he's not a good fit analytics-wise. But B, the Warriors are not going to have Clay for a lot of this season. You've now got to convince Draymond to stay. This is an interesting move, I think, on the part of the Warriors to try to have at least some crew around Steph or Draymond. Because here's here's the fact. LeBron James missing the playoffs was the best thing that could have ever happened to the Lakers. Because you gave LeBron time to rest for the first time in, in, in almost a decade. The Warriors have played almost a full season of basketball in all these years. And Steve Kerr told Rachel Nichols after they lost in, in the finals, quote, we need a year off, unquote. The entire team and coaching staff. This is an exhausted group. And I, I, I think that anything the Warriors can do to take pressure off of Steph, especially for as much as he does running around, you know, playing off the ball, creating things, etc., is is good. I just wonder how, how D'Angelo Russell is going to fit into that mix. Yeah, I mean, people are saying that they signed him just to trade him. Um, I don't know if I believe that, at least not not right away. I think the Warriors just needed somebody. They yes. had to get somebody on the team that can have the ball in their hands because it's literally Steph and no one else right now. I mean, if you want to call Draymond a guy with the ball in his hands, sure, but um, it's pretty much Steph on that roster. You know, Russell's an interesting fit. I mean, it's an interesting fit for him, you know, career-wise as well, to go to a team that's going to compete. They're going to, the Warriors, Warriors are still going to be competitive this year, no matter what. And who knows if Clay can come back and, and add some extra firepower. But um, I, it's an interesting fit for sure. You know, he's a great, he's a really strong shooter. He's another guy that can put the ball in his hands. They just needed someone. And to everyone's point, if they do trade him, they have, they, they, at least they got someone they can trade. They don't really have anyone they can trade right now. So um, I think it makes sense from that, that regard. It kind of came out of nowhere for sure. You know, they look like a different team. They don't have Iggy anymore. Um, they let Clint Cook walk. They're they're just kind of a different team. But um, I, I think it makes sense because they just wanted to get talent. They needed talent to come into the door. That's what they did. If it doesn't work out, they'll trade him to someone else. There will be people that want him. You know, talk about the Bucks. Russell's probably an interesting fit for the Bucks as a guy that can come in and play point guard and shoot three. So um, if, if that if they do trade him, I could see that being a potential potential trade partner for them at a at a you know, competitive, competitive team to competitive team level. So mm. uh, I think it just makes sense from just bringing in talent to the team. We will look for that later in the year um, to see if you are proven right. Uh, we're going to get back to the NBA for one last question in a second, but your favorite UFC fighter won last night in five seconds, I believe? Uh, uh, no, other way around. <laughs> he lost him. Uh, I, my, I, I clearly... What? This shows my UFC knowledge. I misread a tweet about a UFC fight, uh, which I didn't watch, 
and I fully admit this, and I'm making a, myself a fool on a podcast on purpose. I'm, I'm purposely looking misinformed here. I mean, not that I purposely got it wrong, but purposely um, am just playing this up because it's not something that I watch. It's not something that I'm versed in. Losing a fight in five seconds, though, has to be staggering. And then to have to be wheeled out of the arena, I believe, or wheeled out of the octagon, that's not good either. Have you seen it? I know. I, I can't watch that stuff. It's an OCD trigger for me. Yeah, um, it is. It's tough. Yeah, I have basically three, three, the three UFC fighters that I feel attached to. Um, two of them fought last night. One of them is John Jones, who, who, who won um, in, a, in a not a great fight, but who won. And then one was Conor McGregor. Then the third one is Ben Askren, who's kind of a newbie in the UFC. Um, undefeated Olympic wrestler. Never really been hurt that bad in his UFC debut. He got hurt a little bit, uh, but, but survived. And then he's, he's so he's a, a pure wrestler. He doesn't really have any any ability to throw punches or kick. And the guy ran just kind of rushed him, knowing that he's not going to you know throw punches or anything or kicks, and threw an elbow, threw a fly. It was called a flying knee, which is basically could jump and try to knee the guy in the face. And Ben Askren tried to tackle him essentially, and as he dropped his head, the knee collided with him, just knocked out cold instantly. Uh, if it, he was basically knocked out in two seconds. Five, the additional three seconds was kind of, you know, con- confirming he was knocked out and all that. But he basically was knocked out within two seconds of the fight, and he he was out for quite a while. It was it was uh, it was pretty devastating. It's it's interesting when you kind of get attached to these different personalities and you see them just, you know, it's, it's, it's unlike other sports where oh, you know, the Knicks the Knicks missed they got beat at the buzzer or that kind of thing. It's this this guy got. His head basically knocked off in a fight. Uh, it's pretty devastating to see, but it makes it's one of the unique unique attributes of, of watching a combat sport. Uh, I I just want to say for the folks out there, I I got my facts messed up. I thought your favorite fighter was John Jones, who won last night. So yeah. th- that I got right. I just didn't realize that the five second fight wasn't him, and I think that's where I got myself mixed up and got some facts straight. So I just want to tell the folks out there. I did have one of your favorite fighters correct. I just got the wrong one. Yes. I was surprised that you knew that Ben Askren was one of my favorite fighters. I didn't remember telling you that. So I was yes. surprised that, uh, that you said that. So right. John Jones is one of my favorite fighters. And he, he won, um, but not, not, not decidedly, which is, which is rare for him. Yes. No, I, so that, I think, now clarifies why I got all that wrong. Because I, cause you thought I was referring to somebody else when, in fact, I was referring to some well sorry you thought i was referring to ben when i was uh ben you said his, his first name yeah ben Askren. yeah ben uh yeah you thought i was talking ben i was talking john so that's where all that came from um all right let's finish up with a subject oh, well first of all all the best to him i hope that he recovers well that sounds like a brutal way to be knocked out in life or in combat sports so um all, all the best to him, um, and, I, and I hope he's okay. Um, yep. That's one interesting transition, too, from wrestling into UFC. Obviously, Ronda Rousey's done it most famously. Um, that's an interesting transition. Well, Ronda, it was judo. Um, she was an Olympic judo uh, fighter. There, mm. are, there are actually two other wrestlers that were on his Olympic team that were uh, are in the UFC now, one of them being... Two, Two of them are champions. One of them is Daniel Cormier, um, and the other one is Henry Cejudo. So if you have a wrestling base, like wrestling was the first thing that you were really good at, you're generally really strong in the UFC. Yeah. Um, that is 
that it, 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 it makes sense. It, it, it does make sense that some kind of MMA combat sport background would, would help you when you transition into UFC. All right, back to the NBA. Right now, July 7th, what's your NBA finals? Because for me, I have no idea who, I mean, we haven't talked about Denver. Denver, you know, Denver could be that team out of the West. I mean, you, I honestly don't know sitting here right now who's going to be the team coming out of the West. You, you would think it would be the Clippers, but I, it could be anybody. You can make a case for a lot of teams out West and out East. If KD was healthy, I would say Brooklyn in a heartbeat, but I don't think you can say that. No, I, you can't say the Nets right now. Um, I think, you know, the Clippers, I think you have to give them the nod at this point. Just just defensively, Beverly, George, and Kawhi at guarding the perimeter is a nightmare. Um, that, that, that's pretty much unstoppable defensively. I have concerns about the flow of that team's offense and, and you know Kawhi nor Beverly nor George are the guy that's going to get 7 8 10 assists a game uh, they're all kind of scorers um, first time Beverly you know isn't really a, a ball hog in that sense where he's just going to keep shooting but he's not a that's going to break down the defense and create offense that you know from scratch so I have some concerns about how their offense is going to flow um, but defensively they're going to be so strong and they have enough firepower uh, in the ISO situations that they should be pretty darn elite so you have to give the Clippers right now I think uh, and they have just kind of pieces around those guys that have been there are established role players the other teams might not have but people are forgetting about the Rockets so I would say don't sleep on the fact that the Rockets have been the second best team in the NBA for two straight years now I know people are you know, talking about the Chris Paul, James Harden beef and all that, but um, they still are darn good teams, so I would say don't, don't sleep on them. And then in the East, it, it's, it's the Bucks and the Sixers for me are the, are the two teams. Um, the, the one team I would say that you shouldn't forget about is the Celtics. Um, they kind of have gotten out from the Kyrie dark cloud. Uh, Kemba's a hell of a player, fits the Brad Stevens system really well. And if Gordon Hayward can come back to 75% of the player that he was, and you, and you say... Tatum and Jalen Brown will have a bigger role in the offense and can take a step forward. Don't don't sleep on what they can do with Brad Stevens as well. But um, if I'm going to have to throw a prediction out there, I would say Bucks Clippers. But um, as we know, that the the landscape can change and can change very quickly in the NBA. It can it can change very quickly in one trade, one move, one injury. Um, it changed the finals for sure, and. Uh, you know, who knows who wins that finals if, if KD's healthy. Um, and obviously it changed this. Jordan Brickman, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. I hope that you're right, that the Knicks are doing this the right way and they're on the way back to being uh, a franchise that people will want to go to instead of avoid. That's, that's the goal. As long, at the end of the day, if they respect what they're doing, people will come play here. People haven't respected what they've been doing for a while now. So if they can, if they can build on that, Get to 30, 35. 35 wins this year would be Dave Vizdale coach of the year. So hopefully, hopefully that could happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he might be coach of the year. Um, and it, it, at, at, at least in the fans of, of Nick's eyes, he will be exactly. the coach of the year. Jordan, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks so much, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up uh, with Jeremy Schilling. We will see you next time.